Hello, wonderful people. How you doing? Anjali, Rachel, General, welcome everyone. How is everybody's week going? Smile, welcome back. Um, I hope everyone's had a, had a great week. Um, it's been an exhausting week of training uh, the little guy, the little fella. Um, <laughs> uh, but Ike is doing well. As you can see, he hasn't grown much. I'm actually starting to wonder if he will. Um, uh, partially because he doesn't move much. He's pretty. St <laughs> he's pretty. He's he's pretty stationary. Um, stoic even. Uh, but it was a bit of a, um, a a lack of foresight on my part. I am of course uh, in a fairly small apartment overall, and I'm not sure if I could handle if he got too much bigger. Anyway. Today, chapters 13 and 14 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. How exciting is that? We're going to find out some interesting things today. Um, and, as you may have noticed in the uh, video descriptions, we get to hang out with the weird teacher. Now, of course, it is a magic school, so we've had a couple of those, but this one, this one's like the weird teacher. I have to go adjust my light so I don't keep getting stripes across my face, and then we're going to do our typical routine. I'm going to give a quick review of what we saw last time. If you don't want to listen to all this, go ahead and skip forward in the VOD until you see channel art. Um, and then, as always, if at any point in the process you've got something you want to talk about from the books... Or in life, in general. Go ahead and put it in chat. I'd love to talk about it. Okay, just a moment. There we go. No more stripes. Ooh, Smile coming in with some clutch information. Today is the anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts. Now, of course, anyone experiencing this for the very first time doesn't know much about that. But I'm guessing there aren't a ton of those. However, if there are, look forward to it. We will get there. And, uh, yeah, always appreciate the trivia. Anjali, are you asking me or somebody else in chat? Okay, and what other book series are you going to do next? So I'm going to guess, yes, me. Um, originally, I am from the Midwestern United States. Um, I try not to get too specific, even though, boy, it's gonna, it'll be out at some point, but yeah, I don't want to, I don't know, it's, it's tough to know how cautious to be on the internet, so I'm going to be more cautious, and then uh, uh, later I can dial forward, can't dial it back though, not on the internet. Uh, what book series am I going to do next? I am not sure, that's a tough one. Um, there are a few series that have such a wide impact and a wide, um, uh, a wide range of audience as Harry Potter. It's a little tough. Ah, Nathan, welcome. <laughs> How you doing, bud? Rachel, I don't know if you're still in. I love you. I hope you have a great night. 
Smile from Canada. Excellent. Um, but yeah, as far as the next book series goes, um, I've, I've, I've had a couple of considerations and you know, maybe it's a good time. I mean, we've got three books left, three and a half. If you include the rest of the one that we've got here, um, but I've been thinking, I've, I mean, I've thought about Artemis Fowl. I've thought about, uh, the Bartimaeus trilogy. I've thought about Aragon. I've thought about, um, uh, his dark materials. There's a lot of, uh, there are plenty of options, but I'm anticipating having to sort of take some of the production stuff down a notch. It is all about the reading, but, um, you know, Harry Potter has generated more fan art than just about anything else I could think of. So the format might change a little bit. It might look different. Um, I do absolutely intend to continue it, though. That part is a sure bet. I don't know with what. I'd like to expand it and do occasional, like, um, you know, things from other genres as well. Um, you know, not to break out of young adult, because I think this is a nice... Uh, young adult is a good uh, genre for this format. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I like poetry as well. And I like, uh... Let's see, I like Bukowski. I like... H.P. Lovecraft? There's so many options. We'll sort that out later. All right, on to the summary from last time. Last time on Sidecar Stories. They're arriving at school. Um, it's a lot of the same thing that you start to realize, uh, and this is, a, this is kind of a, a craft note. Um, as we re-enter the world of Harry Potter with every book, um, you know, for some people, Nathan Koch says, Stephen King, good call. Uh, horror short stories, I would, I would certainly be amenable to that. Um, that feels like a, like a late night, like a, like a summer late night series or something. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, re-entering the world of Harry Potter. Um, the author has to reintroduce us to different things going on in the world and how everything works. So we get a lot of, of notes of just like, here's, you know, here's Harry's favorite teacher here, or excuse me, here's Harry's least favorite teacher. Um, you know, here are the people around school that we know, um, the ghosts, etc. how everything works, um, including the sorting hat and that ceremony. Um, interrupting this, this reiteration of, of Hogwarts and what it is to be there, we're introduced to a new character, um, a long staff shrouded in a black traveling cloak. He's got a, a carved wooden leg and one, one normal eye and one electric blue magical eye. New professor, Mad-Eye Moody. Harry's heard about him a little bit, um, not much. He doesn't have time to get distracted by Mad-Eye Moody though because there's an announcement Dumbledore makes. My mic is way too low. Dumbledore makes an announcement. This announcement, plug your ears. This announcement is of the biggest school event of all time for uh, for, for sort of the, the high school age students, the Triwizard Tournament. 
Unfortunately, Harry and most of the people that he knows will be too young to compete in the tournament. But it's going to be an exciting event for the school nonetheless. Uh, Luke says, next series, series of unfortunate events would be fun for voices and conversation. I consider that one as well. We'll need to uh, we'll need to have a full discussion of it. By the way, um, right along the lines of that sort of thing, I really like a an app called Discord, and I've got a, a Discord uh, chat set up already. Um, technically, they're called servers, but that sounds strange to me. Uh, so if you want to find that, the link is in the description. But yeah, I can be found there occasionally after streams to continue discussions. There's a death toll um, from this wizarding event, uh, and as such, they've had to raise the age of requirement for uh, for participants. So Harry and his friends aren't going to be able to participate. Um, but huge event coming to the school. Dumbledore tells them to be welcoming to their compatriots, and uh, I think the only other note of note is um, Hermione. She's taken an interesting crusade up, but we're going to learn more about that tonight. Also, one final note before we start. Um, I made uh, a promise, I believe, regarding this little box. I intend to fulfill that. Uh, I got beaned, but we'll talk about it later. All right, uh, I'm looking super magical right now, but we're just gonna roll with it. Chapter 13, Mad-Eye Moody. The storm had blown itself out by the following morning, though the ceiling in the great hall was still gloomy. Heavy clouds of pewter gray swirled overhead as Harry, Ron, and Hermione examined their new course schedules at breakfast. A few seats along, Fred, George, and Lee Jordan were discussing magical methods of aging themselves and bluffing their way into the Triwizard Tournament. "'Today's not bad. Outside, all morning,' said Ron, who was running his finger down his schedule. "'Herbology with the Hufflepuffs and care of magical creatures. Oh, damn it. We're still with the Slytherins.' "'Double divination this afternoon,' Harry groaned, looking down. Divination was his least favorite subject, apart from potions. Professor Trelawney kept predicting Harry's death, which he found extremely annoying.' You should have given it up, like me, shouldn't you?" said Hermione briskly, buttering herself some toast. Then you'd be doing something sensible, like arithmancy. You're eating again, I notice, said Ron, noticing Hermione adding liberal amounts of jam to her toast too. I've decided that there are better ways of making a stand about elf rights, said Hermione haughtily. <laughs> yeah, and you were hungry said Ron, grinning. There was a sudden rustling noise above them, and a hundred owls came swarring through the open windows, carrying the morning mail. Instinctively, Harry looked up, but there was no sign of white among the mass of brown and gray. The owls circled the tables, looking for people to whom their letters and packages were addressed. A large tawny owl soared down to Neville Longbottom and deposited a parcel into his lap. Neville almost always forgot to pack something. 
On the other side of the hall, Draco Malfoy's eagle owl had landed on his shoulders, carrying what looked like his usual supply of sweets and cakes from home. Trying to ignore the sinking feeling of disappointment in his stomach, Harry returned to his porridge. Was it possible that something had happened to Hedwig, and that Sirius hadn't even got his letter? His preoccupation lasted all across the sodden vegetable patch until they had reached the greenhouse number three. But here he was distracted by Professor Sprout showing the class the ugliest plants Harry had ever seen. Indeed, they looked less like plants than thick, black, giant slugs, protruding vertically out of the soil. Each was squirming slightly and had a number of large, shiny swellings upon it, which appeared to be full of liquid. Boobatubers, Professor Sprout told them briskly. They need squeezing. You're going to collect the pus. The what? said Seamus Finnegan, sounding revolted. Pus, Finnegan, pus, said Professor Sprout. It's extremely valuable, so don't waste it. You will collect the pus, I say, in these bottles. Wear the dragon hide gloves. It can do funny things to the skin when undiluted, boobatuber pus. Squeezing the boobatubers was disgusting, but oddly satisfying. As each swelling was popped, a large amount of thick, yellowish-green liquid burst forth, which smelled strongly of petrol. They caught it in the bottles, as Professor Sprout had indicated, and by the end of the lesson had and by the end of the lesson had collected several pints. This'll keep Madame Pomfrey happy, said Professor Sprout, stoppering the last bottle with a cork. An excellent remedy for the more stubborn forms of acne, boober tuber pus, should stop students resorting to desperate measures to rid themselves of pimples. Like poor Eloise Midgen, said Hannah Abbott, a Hufflepuff in a hushed voice. She tried to curse hers off. Silly girl, said Professor Sprout, shaking her head. But Madame Pomfrey fixed her nose back on in the end. A booming bell echoed from the castle grounds, signaling the end of the lesson, and the class separated. The Hufflepuffs climbing the stone steps for transfiguration, and the Gryffindors heading the other direction down the sloping lawn toward Hagrid's small wooden cabin, which stood on the edge of the Forbidden Forest. Hagrid was standing outside his hut, one hand on the collar of his enormous black boarhound, Fang. There were several open crates on the ground at his feet, and Fang was whimpering and straining at his collar, apparently keen to investigate the contents more closely. As they drew nearer, an odd rattling noise reached their ears punctuated by, by what sounded like minor explosions. Morning, Hagrid said, grinning at Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Better wait for the Slytherins. I won't want to miss this. Blast-ended scroots. Come again, said Ron. Hagrid pointed down into the crates. Ew, squealed Lavender Brown, jumping backward. Ew, just about summed up the blast-ended scroots, in Harry's opinion. They looked like deformed, shell-less lobsters, horribly pale and slimy-looking, with legs sticking out in very odd places, 
and no discernible visible heads. There were about a hundred of them in each crate, each about six inches long, crawling over one another, bumping blindly into the sides of the boxes. They were giving off a very powerful smell of rotting fish. Every now and then, sparks would fly out of the end of a scroot, and with a small it would be propelled forward several inches. Only just hatched, said Hagrid proudly. So you'll be able to raise them yourselves. Thought we'd make a bit of a project out of it. And why would we want to raise them? said a cold voice. The Slytherins had arrived. The speaker was Draco Malfoy. Crab and Goyle were chuckling appreciatively at his words. Hagrid looked stumped at the question. I mean, what do they do? said Malfoy. What's the point of them? Hagrid opened his mouth, apparently thinking hard. There was a few seconds pause, then he said roughly, That's the next lesson, Malfoy. You're just feeding him today. Uh, now, you'll want to try him on a, a few different things. Oh, you've never had him before. Not sure what they'll go for. And I ain't... Oh. I got ant eggs and frog livers and a bit of grass snake. Just try him out with a bit of each. Oh, first puss, now this, muttered Seamus. Nothing but deep affection for Hagrid could have made Harry, Ron, and Hermione pick up squelchy handfuls of frog liver and lower them into the crates to tempt the blast-ended scroots. Harry couldn't, Harry couldn't suppress the suspicion that the whole thing was entirely pointless because the scroots didn't seem to have mouths. Ouch! yelled Dean Thomas after about ten minutes. They got me! Hagrid hurried over to him, looking anxious. It seemed exploded, said Dean angrily, showing Hagrid a burn on his hand. Oh, yeah, that can happen when they blast off, said Hagrid, nodding. You, said Lavender Brown again. You, Hagrid, what is that pointy thing on it? Uh, uh, some of them have got stings, said Hagrid enthusiastically. Lavender quickly withdrew her hand from the box. Well, you reckon they're the males? Females have got sort of sucker things on their bellies. I think they might be to suck blood. Well, I can certainly see why we're trying to keep them alive, said Malfoy sarcastically. Who wouldn't want pets that can burn, sting, and bite all at once? Just because they're not very pretty doesn't mean they're not useful, Hermione snapped. Dragon blood's pretty amazingly magical, but you wouldn't want a dragon for a pet, would you? Harry and Ron grinned at Hagrid, who gave them a furtive smile from behind his bushy beard. Hagrid would have liked nothing better than a pet dragon, as Harry, Ron, and Hermione knew only too well. He had owned one for a brief period during their first year, a vicious Norwegian ridgeback by the name of Norbert. Hagrid simply loved monstrous creatures, the more lethal, the better. Well, at least the scroots are small, said Ron as they made their way back up to the castle for lunch an hour later. <sighs> they are now, 
said Hermione in an exasperated voice. But once Hagrid's found out what they eat, I'll expect they're going to be six feet long. Well, that won't matter if they turn out to cure seasickness or something, will it? said Ron, grinning slyly at her. You know perfectly well I only said that to shut Malfoy up, said Hermione. As a matter of fact, I think he's right. The best thing to do would be to stamp on them before they start attacking us all. They sat down at the Gryffindor table and helped themselves to lamb chops and potatoes. Hermione ate so fast that Harry and Ron stared at her. Uh, is this a new stand on Elf Wright? said Ron. You're going to make yourself puke instead? No, said Hermione, with as much dignity as she could muster with her mouth bulging with sprouts. I just want to get to the library. What? said Ron in disbelief. Hermione, it's the first day back. We haven't even got homework yet. Hermione shrugged, and continued to shovel down her food as though she had not eaten for days. Then she leapt to her feet, said, See you at dinner, and departed at high speed. When the bell rang to signal the start of afternoon lessons, Harry and Ron set off for the North Tower, where, at the top of a tightly spiraling staircase, a silver stepladder led to a circular trapdoor in the ceiling, and the room where Professor Trelawney lived. Okay, two sidebars really quick. Um, first of all, mistake we talked tea, help me get some. Uh, finished the whole series, well done. Secondly, um, I've got a red bar on my screen, but uh, my typical program says it's looking fine. Let me know how my stream quality is, and I can uh, maybe pause and fiddle with some things if it's not great. Mostly audio. If the video's a little eh, that's okay. But if the audio's rough, let me know. All right, back to it. The familiar sweet perfume spreading from the fire made their nostrils oh met their nostrils as they emerged from the top of the stepladder. As ever, the curtains were all closed. The circular room was bathed in a dim reddish light cast by the many lamps, which were all draped with sharp scarves and shawls. Not both of those words at once, though. Harry and Ron walked through the mass of occupied chintz chairs and poofs that cluttered the room, and sat down at the same small circular table. Alright, looks like things are looking good, and Daniel Spray, welcome to the stream. Good day, said the misty voice of Professor Trelawney right behind Harry, making him jump. A very thin woman with enormous glasses that made her eyes appear far too large for her face Professor Trelawney was staring down at Harry with the tragic expression she always wore whenever she saw him. The usual large amount of beads, chains, and bangles glittered upon her person in the firelight. "'You are preoccupied, my dear,' she said mournfully to Harry. "'My inner eye sees past your brave face to the troubled soul within.' and I regret to say that your worries are not baseless. I see difficult times ahead for you, alas, most difficult. I fear the thing you dread will indeed come to pass, and sooner perhaps than you think. 
Her voice dropped almost to a whisper. Ron rolled his eyes at Harry, who looked stonily back. Professor Trelawney swept past them and seated herself in a large, winged armchair before the fire, facing the class. Lavender Brown and Parvati Patil, who deeply admired Professor Trelawney, were sitting on poofs very close to her. "'My dears, it is time for us to consider the stars,' she said. "'The movements of the planets and the mysterious portents they reveal only to those who understand the steps of the celestial dance. Human destiny may be deciphered by the planetary rays, which intermingle. But Harry's thoughts had drifted. The perfumed fire always made him feel sleepy and dull-witted, and Professor Trelawney's rambling talks on fortune-telling never exactly held him spellbound, though he couldn't help thinking about what she had just said to him. I fear the thing you dread will indeed come to pass. But Hermione was right, Harry thought irritably. Professor Trelawney really was an old fraud. He wasn't dreading anything at the moment at all. Well, unless you counted his fears that Sirius had been caught. But what did Professor Trelawney know? He had long since come to the conclusion that her brand of fortune-telling was really no more than lucky guesswork and a spooky manner. Except, of course, for that time at the end of last term, term, when she had made the prediction about Voldemort rising again. And Dumbledore himself had said he thought that trance had been genuine when Harry had described it to him. Harry, Ron muttered. What? Harry looked around. The whole class was staring at him. He sat up straight. He had been almost dozing off, lost in the heat and his thoughts. I was saying, my dear, that you were clearly born under the baleful influence of Saturn, said Professor Trelawney, a faint note of resentment in her voice at the fact that he had obviously not been hanging on every one of her words. Born under... Uh, what? Sorry? said Harry. Saturn, dear! The planet Saturn! said Professor Trelawney, sounding definitely irritated that he wasn't riveted by this news. I was saying that Saturn was surely in a position of power in the heavens at the moment of your birth. Your dark hair, your mean stature, tragic losses so young in life. I think... I'm right in saying, my dear, that you were born in midwinter. No, said Harry. I was born in July. Ron hastily turned his laugh into a hacking cough. Half an hour later, each of them had been given a complicated circular chart and was attempting to fill in the position of the planets at the moment of their birth. It was dull work requiring much consultation of timetables and calculation of angles. "'I've got two Neptunes here,' said Harry after a while, frowning down at his piece of parchment. 
that can't be right, can it? Oh, said Ron, imitating Professor Trelawney's mystical whisper. When two Neptunes appear in the sky, it's a sure sign that a midget in glasses is being born, Harry. Seamus and Dean, who were working nearby, snickered loudly. Though not loudly enough to mask the excited squeals from Lavender Brown. Oh, Professor, look! I think I've got an unaspected planet. Ooh, which one is that, Professor? Oh boy, here we go. It is Uranus, my dear. Look, this is the joke. This is the joke. Most unfortunately, Professor Trelawney heard him, and it was this, perhaps, that made her give them so much homework at the end of the class. <laughs> I didn't do this. Katie, you came in at an awkward time, but thank you for being here. A detailed analysis of the way the planetary movements in the coming month will affect you, with a reference to your personal chart, she snapped, sounding much more like Professor McGonagall than her usual airy fairy self. I want it ready to hand in next Monday, and no excuses. Miserable old bat said Ron bitterly as they joined the crowd, descending the staircase back to the Great Hall and dinner. That'll take all weekend, that will. Lots of homework, said Hermione brightly, catching up with them. Professor Vector didn't give us any at all. Well, bully P Professor Vector, said Ron moodily. They reached the entrance hall, which was packed with people queuing for dinner. They had just joined the end of the line when a loud voice rang out behind them. Weasley! Hey, Weasley! Harry, Ron, and Hermione turned. Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle were standing there, each looking thoroughly pleased about something. What? said Ron shortly. Your dad's in the paper, Weasley, said Malfoy brandishing a copy of the Daily Prophet and speaking very loudly so that everyone in the packed entrance hall could hear. Listen to this. Further mistakes at the Ministry. It seems that... It seems as though the Ministry of Magic's troubles are not yet at an end, writes Rita Skeeter, special correspondent. Recently under fire for its poor crowd control at the Quidditch World Cup and still unable to account for the disappearance of one of its which is, the Ministry was plunged into fresh embarrassment yesterday by the antics of Arnold Weasley of the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts Office. Malfoy looked up. Imagine them not even getting his name right, Weasley. It's almost as though he's a complete non-entity, isn't it? He crowed. Everyone in the entrance hall was listening now. Malfoy straightened the paper with a flourish and read on. Arnold Weasley, who was charged with possession of a flying car two years ago, was yesterday involved in a tussle with several muggle lawkeepers, policemen, over a number of highly aggressive dustbins. Mr. Weasley appears to have rushed to the aid of Mad-Eye Moody, the aged ex-aura who retired from the Ministry when no longer able to tell the difference between a handshake and attempted murder. 
Unsurprisingly, Mr. Weasley found, upon arrival at Mr. Moody's heavily guarded house, that Mr. Moody had once again raised a false alarm. Mr. Weasley was forced to modify several memories before he could escape the policeman, but refused to answer daily profit questions about why he had been involved in the ministry about why he had involved the ministry in such an undignified and potentially embarrassing scene. And there's a picture, Weasley, said Malfoy, flipping the paper over and holding it up. A picture of your parents outside their house, if you can call it a house. Your mother could do with losing a bit of weight, couldn't she? Ron was shaking with fury. Everyone was staring at him. Get stuffed, Malfoy, said Harry. Come on, Ron. Oh, yeah, you were staying with them this summer, weren't you, Potter? Sneered Malfoy. So tell me, is his mother really that porky, or is it just a picture? You know your mother, Malfoy, said Harry. Both he and Hermione had grabbed the back of Ron's robes to stop him from launching himself at Malfoy. That expression she's got, like she's got dung under her nose. Has she always looked like that, or was it just because you were with her? Malfoy's pale face went slightly pink. Don't you dare insult my mother, Potter. Keep your fat mouth shut, then, said Harry, turning away. <coughs> Several people screamed. Harry felt something white-hot graze the side of his face. He plunged his hand into his robes for his wand, but before he'd even touched it, he heard a second loud <coughs> and a roar that echoed through the entrance hall. Ooh, no you don't, laddie! Harry spun around. Professor Moody was limping down the marble staircase. His wand was out, and it was pointing right at a pure white ferret which was shivering on the stone-flagged floor, exactly where Malfoy had been standing. There was a terrified silence in the entrance hall. Nobody but Moody was moving a muscle. Moody turned to look at Harry. At least, his normal eye was looking at Harry. The other one was pointing into the back of his head. Did he get you? Moody growled. His voice was low and gravelly. No, said Harry. Missed. Leave it! Moody shouted. Leave what? Harry said, bewildered. Not you! Him! Moody growled, jerking his thumb over his shoulder at Crab, who had just frozen, about to pick up the white ferret. It seemed that Malfoy... It seemed that Moody's rolling eye was magical, and could see out of the back of his head. Moody started to limp toward Crab, Goyle, and the ferret, which gave a terrified squeak and took off, streaking toward the dungeons. I don't think so, roared Moody, pointing his wand at the ferret again. It flew ten feet into the air, fell with a smack on the floor, and then bounced upward once more. I don't like people who attack when their opponent's backs are turned, growled Moody as the ferret bounced higher and higher, squealing in pain. Stinking, cowardly, scummy thing to do. 
Good luck with that, General. The ferret flew through the air, its legs and tail flailing helplessly. Never do that again, said Moody, speaking each word as the ferret hit the stone floor and bounced upward again. Professor Moody, said a shocked voice. Professor McGonagall was coming down the marble staircase with her arm full of books. Hello, Professor, said Moody calmly, bouncing the ferret still higher. What, uh, what are you doing? said Professor McGonagall, her eyes following the bouncing ferret's progress through the air. Teaching, said Moody. Teach? Moody, is that a student? shrieked Professor McGonagall, the books spilling out of her arms. Yep, said Moody. No! cried Professor McGonagall, running down the stairs and pulling out her wand. A moment later, with a loud noise, Draco Malfoy had reappeared, lying in a heap on the floor with his sleek blonde hair all over his now brilliantly pink face. He got to his feet, wincing. Moody, we never use transfiguration as a punishment, said Professor McGonagall weakly. Surely Professor Dumbledore told you that. He might have mentioned it, yeah, said Moody, scratching his chin unconcernedly. But I thought a, a good sharp shock. We give detentions, Moody, or speak to the offender's head of house. I'll do that, then said Moody, staring at Malfoy with great dislike. Malfoy, whose pale eyes were still watering with pain and humiliation, looked malevolently up at Moody, and muttered something which sounded like, My father. Oh, yeah? said Moody, quietly, limping forward a few steps, the dull clunk of his wooden leg echoing around the hall. Well, I know your father of old, boy. You tell him Moody's keeping a close eye on his son. You tell him that from me. Now, your head of house will be Snape, will it? Yes, said Malfoy, resentfully. Another old friend, growled Malfoy. I've been looking forward to a chat with old Snape. Come on, you. And he seized Malfoy's upper arm and marched him off toward the dungeons. Professor McGonagall stared anxiously after them for a few moments, and waved her wand at her fallen books, causing them to soar up into the air and back into her arms. Don't talk to me, Ron said quietly as Harry and Hermione sat down at the Gryffindor table a few minutes later, surrounded by excited talk on all sides about what had just happened. Why not? said Hermione in surprise. Because I want to fix that in my memory forever, said Ron, his eyes closed and an uplifted expression on his face. Draco Malfoy, the amazing bouncing ferret. Harry and Hermione both laughed, and Hermione began doling beef casserole onto each of their plates. Ah, he could have really hurt Malfoy, though she said. It was good, really, that Professor McGonagall stopped it. Hermione, said Ron furiously, 
his eyes snapping open again. You're ruining the best moment of my life. <sighs> Hermione made an impatient noise and began to eat at top speed again. Don't tell me you're going back to the library this evening, said Harry, watching her. Got to, said Hermione thickly. Lots to do. But you told us that Professor Vector... It's not schoolwork, she said. Within five minutes, she had cleared her plate and departed. No sooner had she gone than her seat was taken by Fred Weasley. Moody, he said. How cool is he? Beyond's cool, said George, sitting down opposite Fred. Super cool, said the twins' best friend, Lee Jordan, sliding down into the seat beside George. We had him this afternoon, he told Harry and Ron. What was it like? said Harry eagerly. Fred, George, and Lee exchanged looks full of meaning. Never had a lesson like it, said Fred. He knows, man, said Lee. Knows what? said Ron, leaning forward. Knows what it's like to be out there doing it, said George impressively. Doing what? said Harry. Fight in the dark arts, said Fred. He's seen it all, said George. Amazing, said Lee. Ron dived into his bag for his schedule. Oh, we haven't got until Thursday, he said in a disappointed voice. That is the end of chapter one. So, as always, we will be taking a short break. After this short break, um, as I mentioned, I'm going to make good on this little deal here. I got beaned three times. I was at 109. I'm at 118 now. So, that is your new number to beat. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, stop here, but I will see you in five minutes. Um, for some, uh, truly it could be a fun experience or it might just be really, really awful, but it's yours to watch. See you in a bit. Hello everyone. Welcome back. I'm back. Welcome back to me. How's it going? So. Anybody tuning in late, my name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and we are in the middle of our start-to-finish read-through of the Harry Potter series. We're in book four, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, um, act one. And it's going well. Um, now, I made a promise. I, uh, I feel like we're in a stable enough spot with this series. Um, my, I've got solid enough internet, I've got a place to stream. Things are going well. I'm in a solid enough spot that I don't mind talking to people about it. I don't feel like self-conscious about like saying, hey, I do this thing. Check it out. It's on Sundays. Well, it's on Thursdays now. But um, by the way, General, good luck with that plate and your cat. <laughs> um, because I'm in a good spot with it, I want you guys' help to tell people about it as well. So... Um, I did make a promise that for every three subs that I got over the course of a week, I'm going to eat a bean. Um, 
I am not going to be able to see the bean before I eat it. I'll try to guess what it was, but I am going to show you guys what it is. Um, by the way, if any of them look like a weird void, it's because it's probably green. So it's probably picking up as like green screen. Like for instance, this water bottle probably looks, oh, weird. Oh, that's so weird. This is a very green water bottle. It's just coming out like super gray. That's strange. Interesting. Interesting. I found that very curious. But, uh, like, maybe, what are the inside of these scissors? Yeah, okay, so, like, weird void, like the green on these scissors. Um, that means it's a it's a green bean. Uh, I'm just going to run through some of the optional, some of the, the flavor possibilities here. Earwax, earthworm, dirt, cinnamon, cherry, candy floss, booger, blueberry, black pepper, banana, Grass, green apple, marshmallow, rotten egg, sausage, lemon, soap, tutti frutti, vomit, and watermelon. Now, out of all of those options, even the gross ones, I think the one that I'm most concerned about is sausage, because uh, that sounds like a horrible thing to get in, in bean form. So, I'm doing it. It's time. I did make a promise, and I'm going to do it. We br you, you brought me from 109 to 118 this week, and I'm going to make good. So three beans. So, here's, here's I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this, put it down here. And, and I can kind of see through this. I can I could see through this. Oh, are you going to are you going to be my 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 helper here? Sure. All right. Uh we're flying in some help here. For anyone who doesn't care about this, go ahead and skip in the vod until uh you can see art. So, here's how this is going to work. I'm gonna I'm gonna close my eyes. I'm gonna like I'm gonna cover it with something, um, and then you're gonna see a bean, and then I'm gonna eat the bean. I mean it's it's fairly uncomplicated stuff. All right, just a second. Let me grab something to cover my eyes with. I'm ready. All right, show them what it is. Show them what we're looking at. This one's an interesting. Hmm. Oh. That's that is not sort of on the list of things that I was hoping to hear. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Okay, I'm not chewing it yet, but there's like a little a little sweetness to it, I guess. Guess which one I found. <laughs> I think it might be sausage. <laughs> I think it might be too, looking at the colors. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that is one sausage. <laughs> Good grief. It's really smell it. Yeah, it's not great. Are you looking forward to to a smooch at the end of this? Nope. Hmm. I'm gonna power through the whole thing. This is a lot. Oh boy. Alright, I need like a I need a top off. Me. Yeah, help. <laughs> Alright, while I'm here, while I'm while I'm going after the next bean. Alright. Got bean for me. Oh, I thought you water. No, it's all good. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. All right, show them, show them how oh, it looks. Forgot. Yep. Oh. Okay. Color. I'm ready. I am a pirate. I be pirate moody. Hold on. 
like you're gonna rinse all the flavor Mm-mm. out. Of it. Don't worry, I still got it. I still got it. It's still intact. I'm trying to get the the, the residual sausage out of. <laughs> all right. Okay, that one's fairly sweet. Licorice. I feel okay. This one feels safe. <laughs> um. Maybe a very weird banana flavor, I guess. I mean, they're they're like they're jelly beans, so it's a little tough to tell. Not banana. Mm-mm. I feel like it's either licorice or like fruit something. It's fruit. Something. Mm. Hmm. All right, palate cleansed. Ready for my third bean. Yeah, if you know, if you it was think, watermelon. oh, it's watermelon. I think. There's a lot of sweet for watermelon. Okay. All right, final Let bean. Let them see it. All right, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah. Okay. <laughs> Don't make that noise. <laughs> Don't do that giggle. The outside's just sweet. Like, it was on the sausage one, too. So, I don't... The outside gives me nothing. So, I'm just gonna bite into it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> 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 um, maybe pepper? It's not pepper. No? It's something dark. <laughs> it was not dark. Well, like, the, the flavor is dark. It should have it helped you... <laughs> wash the sausage flavor out of your mouth. Soap? It was soap. Honestly? It's just like, it's got a little bit of bite to it, but it's not terrible. It dark. What it tastes like is, is black licorice, essentially. So, we're in gathering from the... They all taste like licorice, unless it's sausage. I mean, alright, alright. Get this stupid thing off my face. Ugh. Nathan, you're not allowed. Okay. I did the thing. And uh, if y'all think it would be better, we can move this this uh, this bean operation to the end of the stream. I don't want to necessarily like cut into the middle of everything. I think we should dump it. <laughs> well, um, let's see. Depending on how many are left, they could make that happen. Cassidy says. Uh, I should just dump the whole box in my mouth. I don't think that, I don't think you get to, to, I don't think I get to savor the sausage flavors at that point. And then by the same virtue, you guys don't get to savor my face as it eats a sausage jelly bean. Let's proceed, shall we? Um, quick summary for anybody who's jumping back in or just jumping in. Uh, essentially, Harry's back at school, um, getting back into his his uh, normal classes, checking out some of his new classes. Um, he's heard that uh, Mad-Eye Moody is a heck of a teacher, as he has experienced the process of fighting the dark arts. Um, Harry has his typical, uh, less than desirable interactions with uh, Professor Trelawney of divination class. She insists that he's going to have some sort of horrible fate. Uh, and gets his birth month completely wrong. Uh, and then I believe the last thing is that Hermione is spending a lot of time in the library, which for Hermione 
isn't terribly odd, but she has mentioned it's not homework. Interesting. Let's proceed, shall we? Chapter 14. Actually, no, I gotta wait until I, I gotta wait until I got the, the art up here. By the way, um, I did have a, a decent little jump in uh, new people showing up, so for anyone who told anyone else about the stream, thank you very much. Let's do this. Chapter 14, The Unforgivable Curses. The next two days passed without great incident, unless you counted Neville melting his sixth cauldron in potions. Professor Snape, who seemed to have attained new levels of vindictiveness over the summer, gave Neville detention, and Neville returned from it in a state of nervous collapse, having made to disembowel a barrel full of horned toads. Well, you know why Snape's in such a foul mood, don't you? said Ron to Harry as they watched Hermione teaching Neville a scouring charm to remove the toad guts from under his fingernails. Yeah, said Harry. Moody. It was common knowledge that Snape really wanted the dark arts job, and he had now failed to get it for a fourth year running. Snape had disliked all of their previous dark arts teachers and shown it, but he seemed strangely wary of displaying overt animosity toward Mad-Eye Moody. Indeed, whenever Harry saw the two of them together, at mealtimes or when they passed in the corridors, he had the distinct impression that Snape was avoiding Moody's eye, whether magical or normal. I reckon Snape's a bit scared of him, you know, Harry said thoughtfully. I was right, it's the sausage one. Oh, man. It's still bad. <sighs> I reckon Snape's a bit scared of him, you know? Harry said thoughtfully. Imagine if Moody turned Snape into a horned toad, said Ron, his eyes misting over, bouncing him all around his dungeon. The Gryffindor fourth-years were looking forward to Moody's first lesson so much that they arrived early on Thursday lunchtime and queued up outside his classroom before the bell had even rung. The only person missing was Hermione, who turned up just in time for the lesson. I've been in the library, Harry finished her sentence for her. Come on, quick, or we won't get decent seats. They hurried into the three chairs right in front of the teacher's desk, took out their copies of The Dark Forces, A Guide to Self-Protection, and waited, unusually quiet. Soon they heard Moody's distinctive clunking footsteps coming down the corridor, and he entered the room, looking as strange and frightening as ever. They could just see his clawed wooden foot protruding from underneath his robes. You can put those away! He growled, stumping over to his desk and sitting down. Those books. You won't need them. They returned the books to their bags, Ron looking excited. Moody took out a register, shook his long mane of grizzled gray hair out of his twisted and scarred face, and began to call out names. 
his normal eye moving steadily down the list while his magical eye swiveled around, fixed upon each student as he or she answered. Right then, he said, when the last person had declared themselves present. I've had a letter from Professor Lupin about this class. Seems you've had a pretty thorough grinding. Seems you've had a pretty thorough grounding in tackling dark creatures. You've covered bogarts, red caps, hinky punks, grindy lows, kappas, and werewolves. Is that right? There was a general murmur of assent. But you're behind. Very behind. Undealing with curses, said Moody. So I'm here to bring you up to scratch on what wizards can do to each other. I've got one year to teach you how to deal with dark. What you are saying? Ron blurted out. Moody's magical eyes spun around to stare at Ron. Ron looked extremely apprehensive, but after a moment, Moody smiled. The first time Harry had seen him do so. The effect was to make his heavily scarred face look more twisted and contorted than ever, but it was nevertheless good to know that he ever did anything as friendly as smile. Ron looked deeply relieved. You'll be Arthur Weasley's son, eh? Moody said. Your father got me out of a very tight corner a few days ago. Yes, I'm staying just the one year. Special favor to Dumbledore. One year, then back to my quiet retirement. <laughs> He gave a harsh laugh and then clapped his gnarled hands together. Right! Straight into it. Curses. They come in many strengths and forms. Now, according to the Ministry of Magic, I'm supposed to teach you counter-curses and leave it at that. I'm not supposed to show you what illegal dark curses look like until you're in the sixth year. You're not supposed to be old enough to deal with it till then, but... Professor Dumbledore's got a higher opinion of your nerves. He reckons you can cope, and I say, the sooner you know what you're up against, the better. How are you supposed to defend yourself against something you have never seen? A wizard who's about to put an illegal curse on you isn't going to tell you what he's about to do. He's not going to do it nice and polite to your face. You need to be prepared. You need to be alert. And watchful. You need to put that away, Miss Brown, when I'm talking. Lavender jumped and blushed. She'd been showing Parvati her completed horoscope under the desk. Apparently, Moody's magical eye could see through solid wood, as well as the back of his head. So, do any of you know which curses are most heavily punished by wizarding law? Several hands rose tentatively into the air including Ron's and Hermione's. Moody pointed at Ron, though his magical eye was still fixed on Lavender. Oh, said Ron tentatively. My dad told me about one. Is it called... the Imperious Curse or something? Oh my lord, that sausage bean. I knew it was going to be terrible. First one that got pulled. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Interesting is not the word I would use. 
Well, I'm glad it was pretty. Again, I look forward to the big old smooch you get when I'm done here. You're gonna, you're gonna love it. Uh, my dad told me about one. Is it called the Imperious Curse or something? Ah, yes," said Moody appreciatively. "Your father would know about that one. Gave the Ministry a lot of trouble at one time. The Imperious Curse." Moody got heavily to his mitch again. This still this word. It's the sausage man. It's doing it to me. Moody got heavily to his mismatched feet, opened his desk drawer, and took out a glass jar. Three large black spiders were scuttling around inside it. Harry felt Ron recoil slightly next to him. Ron hated spiders. Moody reached into the jar caught one of the spiders and held it in the palm of his hand, so that they could all see it. He then pointed his wand at it and muttered, Imperio! The spider leapt from Moody's hand on a fine thread of silk, and began to swing backward and forward, as though on a trapeze. It stretched out its legs rigidly, then did a backflip, breaking the thread and landing on the desk, where it began to cartwheel in circles. Moody jerked his wand, and the spider rose on two of its hind legs and went into what was unmistakably a tap dance. Everyone was laughing. Everyone except Moody. Think it's funny, do you? He growled. You'd like it, would you? If I did it to you. The laughter died away almost instantly. Total control, said Moody quietly as the spider balled itself up and began to roll over and over. I can make it jump out of the window, drown itself, throw itself down one of your throats. Ron gave an involuntary shudder. Years back, there were a lot of witches and wizards being controlled by the Imperious Curse, said Mute said Moody, and Harry knew he was talking about the days in which Voldemort had been all-powerful. Some job for the Ministry trying to sort out who was being forced to act, and who was acting of their own free will. The Imperious Curse can be fought, and I'll be teaching you now. But it takes real strength of character, and not everyone's got it. Better to avoid being hit with it if you can. Constant vigilance, he barked, and everyone jumped. Moody picked up the somersaulting spider and threw it back into the jar. Anyone else know one? Another illegal curse. Hermione's hand flew into the air, and so, to Harry's slight surprise, surprise, hello, Hermione's hand flew into the air again, and so, to Harry's slight surprise, did Neville's. The only class in which Neville usually volunteered information was herbology, which was easily his best subject. Neville looked surprised at his own daring. Yes, said Moody, his magical eye rolling right over to fix on Neville. 
There's one. The Cruciatus Curse, said Neville, in a small but distinct voice. Moody was looking very intently at Neville, this time with both eyes. Your name's Longbottom, he said, his magical eyes swooping down to check the register again. Neville nodded nervously, but Moody made no further inquiries. Turning back to the class at large, he reached into the jar for the next spider and placed it upon the desktop, where it remained motionless, apparently too scared to move. The Cruciatus Curse, said Moody. Needs to be a bit bigger for you to get the idea, he said, pointing his wand at the spider. Engorgio! The spider swelled. It was now larger than a tarantula. Abandoning all pretense, Ron pushed his chair backward, as far away from Moody's desk as possible. Moody raised his wand again, pointed it at the spider, and muttered, Crucio! At once the spider's legs bent in upon its body. It rolled over and began to twitch horribly, rocking from side to side. No sound came from it, but Harry was sure that if it had given chance, but Harry was sure that if it could have given voice, it would have been screaming. Moody did not remove his wand, and the spider started to shudder and jerk more violently. Stop it! Hermione said shrilly. Harry looked around at her. She was looking not at the spider, but at Neville, and Harry, following her gaze, saw that Neville's hands were clenched upon the desk in front of him, his knuckles white, his eyes wide and horrified. Moody raised his wand. The spider's legs relaxed, but it continued to twitch. Reduce you! Moody muttered, and the spider shrank back to its proper size. He put it back in the jar. Pain, said Moody softly. You don't need thumbscrews or knives to torture someone if you can perform the Cruciatus Curse. That one was very popular once, too. Right. Anyone know any others? Excuse me, just the one, I guess. Harry looked around. From the looks on everyone's faces, he guessed that they were all wondering what was going to happen to the last spider. Hermione's hand shook slightly as, for the third time, she raised it into the air. Yes, said Moody, looking at her. Avada Kedavra? Hermione whispered. Several people looked uneasily around at her, including Ron. Thank you, Smile. Ah, said Moody, another slight smile twisting his lopsided mouth. <laughs> Yes, the last and the worst.
Avada Kedavra. The killing curse. He put his hand into the glass jar, and almost as though it knew what was coming, the third spider scuttled frantically around at the bottom of the jar, trying to evade Moody's fingers, but he trapped it and placed it upon the desktop. It started to scuttle frantically across the wooden surface. Hi, Edison. Moody raised his wand, and Harry felt a sudden thrill of foreboding. Avada Kedavra! Moody roared. There was a flash of blinding green light and a rushing sound, as though a vast, invisible something was soaring through the air. Instantaneously, the spider rolled over onto its back, unmarked, but unmistakably dead. Several of the students stifled cries. Ron had thrown himself backward and almost toppled off his seat as the spider skidded toward him. Moody swept the dead spider off the desk onto the floor. Not nice, he said calmly. Not pleasant. And there's no counter-curse. No blocking it. Only one person has ever survived it, and he's sitting right in front of me. Harry felt his face redden as Moody's eyes, both of them, looked into his own. He could feel everyone else looking around at him, too. Harry stared at the blank blackboard as though fascinated by it, but not really seeing it at all. So, that was how his parents had died. Exactly like that spider. Had they been unblemished and unmarked, too? Had they simply seen the flash of green light and heard the rushing of speeding death before life was wiped from their bodies? Harry had pictured his parents' deaths over and over again for three years now, ever since he'd found out they'd been murdered, ever since he'd found out what had happened that night. Wormtail had betrayed his parents' whereabouts to Voldemort, who had come to find them at their cottage. How Voldemort had killed Harry's father first. How James Potter had tried to hold him off while he shouted at his wife to take Harry and run. Voldemort had advanced on Lily Potter, told her to move aside so that he could kill Harry, how she had begged him to kill her instead, refused to stop shielding her son. And so Voldemort had murdered her too, before turning his wand on Harry. Harry knew these details because he had heard his parents' voices when he fought the Dementors last year. For that was the terrible power of the Dementors. To force their victims to relive the worst memories of their lives and drown, powerless, in their own despair. Moody was speaking again, from a great distance, it seemed to Harry. With a massive effort, he pulled himself back into the present and listened to what Moody was saying. Avada Kedavra's a curse that needs a powerful bit of magic behind it. You can all get your wands out now and point them at me and say the words, and I doubt I'd get so much as a nosebleed. But that doesn't matter. 
I'm not here to teach you how to do it. Now, if there's no counter curse, why am I showing it to you? Because you've got to know. Got to appreciate what the worst is. You don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're facing it. Constant vigilance, he roared, and the whole class jumped again. Now, those three curses, Avada Kedavra, Imperius, and Cruciatus, are known as the unforgivable curses. The use of any one of them on a fellow human being is enough to earn a life sentence in Azkaban. That's what you're up against. That's what I've got to teach you to fight. You need preparing. You need arming. But most of all, you need to practice constant, never-ceasing vigilance. Get out your quills. Copy this down. They spent the rest of the lesson taking notes on each of the unforgivable curses. No one spoke until the bell rang. But when Moody had dismissed them and they had left the classroom, a torrent of talk burst forth. Most people were discussing the curses in awed voices. Did you see it twitch? And when it killed it, just like that? They were talking about the lesson, Harry thought, as though it had been some sort of spectacular show. But he hadn't found it very entertaining. And nor, it seemed, had Hermione. Hurry up, she said tensely to Harry and Ron. Not the ruddy library again, said Ron. No, said Hermione curtly, pointing up a side passage. Neville. Neville was standing alone, halfway up the passage, staring at the stone wall opposite him with the same horrified, wide-eyed look he had worn when Moody had demonstrated the Cruciatus curse. Neville, Hermione said gently. Neville looked around. Oh, hello, he said, his voice much higher than usual. Interested lesson, wasn't it? I wonder what's for dinner. I'm, I'm starving, aren't you? Neville, are you all right? said Hermione. Uh, yes, I'm fine, Neville gabbled in the same unnaturally high voice. Very interesting dinner, I mean, lesson. What's for eating? <laughs> Ron gave Harry a startled look. Neville, what? But an odd clunking noise sounded behind them, and they turned to see Professor Moody limping toward them. All four of them fell silent, watching him apprehensively, but when he spoke it was in a much lower and gentler growl than they had yet heard. It's all right, Sonny, he said to Neville. Why don't you come up to my office? Come on. We can have a cup of tea. Neville looked even more frightened at the prospect of tea with Moody. Neither moved nor spoke. Moody turned his magical eye upon Harry. You all right, Arya Potter? Yes, said Harry, almost defiantly. Moody's blue eye quivered slightly in its socket as it surveyed Harry. 
Then he said, You've got to know. It seems harsh, maybe, but you've got to know. No point in pretending. Well, come on, Longbottom. I got some books that might interest you. Neville looked pleadingly at Harry, Ron, and Hermione, but they didn't say anything. So Neville had no choice but to allow himself to be steered away, one of Moody's gnarled hands on his shoulder. What was that about? said Ron, watching Neville and Moody turn the corner. I don't know, said Hermione, looking pensive. Some lesson, though, huh? said Ron as they set off for the Great Hall. Fred and George were right, weren't they? He really knows his stuff, Moody, doesn't he? Oh, when he did the, uh, the cadaver, the way that spider just died. Just snuffed it right... But Ron fell suddenly silent at the look on Harry's face and didn't speak again until they had reached the Great Hall. When he said he supposed they'd better make a start on Professor Trelawney's predictions tonight, since it would take hours... Hermione did not join in with Harry and Ron's conversations during dinner, but ate furiously fast and then left for the library again. Harry and Ron walked back toward Gryffindor Tower, and Harry, who had been thinking of nothing else all through dinner, now raised the subject of the unforgivable curses himself. Wouldn't Moody and Dumbledore be in trouble with the Ministry if they knew that we'd seen the curses? Harry asked as they approached the fat lady. Yeah, probably, said Ron. But Dumbledore's always done things his way, hasn't he? Moody's been getting in trouble for years, I reckon. Attacks first and asks questions later. Look at his dustbins. Boulder Dash. The fat lady swung forward to reveal the entrance hall, and they climbed into the Gryffindor common room, which was crowded and noisy. Shall we get our divination stuff, then? said Harry. Oh, I suppose. Ron groaned. They went up to the dormitory to fetch their books and charts to find Neville there alone, sitting on his bed, reading. He looked a great deal calmer than at the end of Moody's lesson, though still not entirely normal. His eyes were rather red. You all right, Neville? Harry asked him. Oh, yes, said Neville. I'm fine, thanks. Just reading this book that Professor Moody lent me. He held up the book. Magical Water Plants of the Mediterranean. Apparently, Professor Sprout told Professor Moody I'm really good at herbology, Neville said. There was a faint note of pride in his voice that Harry had rarely seen. There was a faint note of pride in his voice that Harry had rarely heard there before. He thought I would like this. Telling Neville what Professor Sprout had said, Harry thought, had been a very tactful way of cheering Harry. Hmm? Had been a very tactful way of cheering Neville up, for Neville very rarely heard that he was good at anything. It was the sort of thing Professor Lupin would have done. Harry and Ron took their copies of Unfogging the Future back down to the common room, found a table, and set to work on their predictions for the coming month. 
An hour later, they made very little progress, though their table was littered with bits of parchment bearing sums and symbols, and Harry's brain was as fogged as though it had been filled with the fumes from Professor Trelawney's fire. I haven't got a clue what this is supposed to mean, he said, staring down at a long list of calculations. Oh, you know, said Ron, whose hair was on end because of all the times he had run his fingers through it in frustration. I think it's back to the old divination standby. What, make it up? Yeah, said Ron sweeping the jumble of scrawled notes off the table, dipping his pen into some ink, and starting to write. Next Monday, he said as he scribbled, I am likely to develop a cough owing to the unlikely conjunction of Mars and Jupiter. He looked up at Harry. Ah, you know her. Just put in laws of misery. She'll lap it up. Right, said Harry, crumpling up his first attempt and lobbing it over the heads of a group chattering near the fire. Okay. On Monday, I will be in danger of... Uh, burns. Yeah, you will be, said Ron darkly. We're seeing the scroots again on Monday. Okay, Tuesday, I'll, um... Lose a treasured possession, said Harry, who was flickering through, unfogging the future for ideas. Oh, that's a good one, said Ron, copying it down. Because of... Uh, Mercury. <laughs> or don't you get stabbed in the back by someone you thought was a friend? Yeah, cool said Harry, scribbling it down, because Venus is in the twelfth house. And on Wednesday I think I'll come off worse in a fight. Ah, oh, I was going to have a fight. Okay, I'll lose a bet. Yeah, you'll be betting I'll win my fight. They continued to make up predictions, which grew steadily more tragic, for another hour, while the common room around them slowly emptied as people went up to bed. Crookshanks wandered over to them, leapt lightly into an empty armchair, and stared inscrutably at Harry, rather as Hermione might have done if she knew they weren't doing their homework properly. Staring around the room, trying to think of a kind of misfortune he hadn't yet used, Harry saw Fred and George sitting together against the opposite wall, heads together, quills out, poring over a single piece of parchment. It was most unusual to see Fred and George hidden away in a corner and working silently. They usually liked to be in the thick of things and the noisy center of attention. There was something secretive about the way that they were working on the piece of parchment, and Harry was reminded of how they had sat together writing something back at the burrow. He had thought then that it was another order form for the Weasley's wizard wheezes, but it didn't look like that this time. If it had been, they would surely have let Lee Jordan in on the joke. He wondered whether it had anything to do with entering the Triwizard Tournament. As Harry watched, George shook his head at Fred, scratched out something with his quill, and said, in a very quiet voice that nevertheless carried across the almost deserted room, No, 
That sounds like we're accusing him. We've got to be careful. Then George looked over and saw Harry watching him. Harry grinned and quickly returned to his predictions. He didn't want George to think he was eavesdropping. Shortly after that, the twins rolled up their parchment, said goodnight, and went off to bed. Fred and George had been gone ten minutes or so when the portrait hole opened, and Hermione climbed into the common room, carrying a sheaf of parchment in one hand and a box whose contents rattled as she walked in the other. Crookshanks arched his back, purring. Hello, she said. I've just finished. So have I, said Ron triumphantly, throwing down his quill. Hermione sat down, laid the things she was carrying in an empty armchair, and pulled Ron's predictions toward her. Not going to have a very good month, are you? She said sardonically as Crookshanks curled up in her lap. Uh, well, at least I'm forewarned, Ron yawned. You seem to be drowning twice, said Hermione. Oh, am I, said Ron, peering down at his predictions. But to change one of them to getting trampled by a raging hippogriff. Don't you think it's a bit obvious that you've made these things up? said Hermione. <gasps> How dare you, said Ron, in mock outrage. We've been working like ourselves here. Hermione raised her eyebrows. It's just an expression, said Ron hastily. Harry laid down his quill too, having just finished predicting his own death by decapitation. What's in the box? he asked, pointing at it. Funny that you should ask, said Hermione, with a nasty look at Ron. She took off the lid and showed them the contents. Inside were about fifty badges, all of different colors, all bearing the same letters. S-P-E-W. Spew, said Harry, picking up a badge and looking at it. What's this about? Not spew, said Hermione impatiently. It's S-P-E-W. Stands for the Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare. Never heard of it, said Ron. Well, of course you haven't, said Hermione briskly. I've only just started it. Yeah, said Ron in mild surprise. How many members have you got? Well, if you two join... Three, said Hermione. And you think that we want to walk around wearing badges saying spew, do you? said Ron. S-P-E-W, said Hermione hotly. I was going to put stop the outrageous abuse of our fellow magical creatures and campaign for a change in their legal status, but it wouldn't fit, so that's the heading of our manifesto. She brandished the sheaf of parchment at them. I've been researching it thoroughly in the library. Elf enslavement goes back centuries. I can't believe no one's done anything about it before now. Hermione, open your ears said Ron loudly. They like it. They like being enslaved. Our short-term aims, said Hermione, speaking even more loudly than Ron, and acting as though she hadn't heard a word, are to ensure house elves fair wages and working conditions. <clears throat> Our long-term aims include changing the law about non-wand use and trying to get an elf 
Ooh. Trying to get an elf into the department for the regulation and control of magical creatures because they are shockingly underrepresented. And how do we do all of this? Harry asked. We start by recruiting members, said Hermione happily. I thought two sickles to join. That buys a badge, and the proceeds can fund our leaflet campaign. You're the treasurer, Ron. I've got you collecting... Um, I've got your collecting tin upstairs. And Harry, you're the secretary, so you might want to write down everything I'm saying right now as a record of our first meeting. There was a pause, in which Hermione beamed at the pair of them, and Harry sat, torn between exasperation at Hermione and amusement at the look on Ron's face. The silence was broken, not by Ron, who, in any case, looked as though he were temporarily dumbstruck, but by a soft tap-tap on the window. Harry looked across the now-empty common room and saw, illuminated by the moonlight, a snowy owl perched on the windowsill. "'Hedwig!' he shouted, and he launched himself out of his chair and across the room to pull open the window. Hedwig flew in time. Hedwig flew inside, soared around the room, and landed on the table on top of Harry's predictions. "'About time,' said Harry hurrying after her. "'She's got an answer,' said Ron, excitedly, pointing at the grubby piece of parchment tied to Hedwig's leg. Harry hastily untied it and sat down to read, whereupon Hedwig fluttered onto his knee, hooting softly. "'What does it say?' Hermione asked breathlessly. The letter was very short, and looked as though it had been scrawled in a great hurry. Harry read it aloud. Harry, I'm flying north immediately. This news about your scar is the latest in a series of strange rumours that have reached me here. If it hurts again, go straight to Dumbledore. They're saying he's got Mad-Eye out of retirement, which means he's reading the signs, even if no one else is. I'll be in touch soon. My best to Ron and Hermione. Keep your eyes open, Harry. Serious. Harry looked up at Ron and Hermione, who stared back at him. He's flying north, Hermione whispered. He's coming back. Dumbledore's reading what signs, said Ron, looking perplexed. Harry, what's up? For Harry had just hit himself in the forehead with his fist jolting Hedwig out of his lap. "'I shouldn't have told him!' Harry said furiously. "'What are you on about?' said Ron, in surprise. "'It's made him think he's got to come back,' said Harry, now slamming his fist on the table so that Hedwig landed on the back of Ron's chair, hooting indignantly. "'Coming back because he thinks I'm in trouble! And there's nothing wrong with me! I haven't got anything for you!' Harry snapped at Hedwig was now clicking her beak expectantly. You'll have to go up to the owlery if you want food. Hedwig gave him an extremely offended look and took off for the open window, cuffing him around the head with her outstretched wing as she went. Harry? Hermione began in a pacifying sort of voice. I'm going up to bed, said Harry shortly. I'll see you in the morning. Upstairs on the dormit 
Upstairs in the dormitory, he pulled on his pajamas and got into his four-poster. But he didn't feel remotely tired. If Sirius came back and got caught, it would be his, Harry's, fault. Why hadn't he kept his mouth shut? A few seconds pain and he had to blab. If he had just had the sense to keep it to himself. He heard Ron come up into the dormitory a short while later, but did not speak to him. For a long time, Harry lay staring up at the dark canopy of his bed. The dormitory was completely silent. And had he been less preoccupied, Harry would have realized that the absence of Neville's usual snores meant that he was not the only one lying awake. chapter for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. It's been a good night. Hello. Back to the library. Here we go. It's been a good night. I appreciate you all sticking with me. Um, to those of you who are new here, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. We are in the middle of our start-to-finish read-through of Harry Potter we are currently uh, right about midway, maybe a little more than midway through, um, no, about midway, through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And we're having an excellent time. I hope everyone has a great week. Um, if you would like more uh, more discussion on uh, things of this nature, um, go ahead and put it in chat now. It's great because there's not a delay anymore, which means I can catch it as it happens. Uh Otherwise, I have in the description of this stream and all of my previous videos, um, at least the more recent ones, um, the link to a Discord, which I've got set up so that uh, I can bounce back in and we can keep talking about it, if you wish. Um, it should also give you updates on what is going on with the stream and what is going on elsewhere in my life. For instance, um, a podcast called Only Liches, which uh, you can find at blunderbusxp.com slash onlyliches which is spelled L-I-C-H-E-S. Um, but it's about gaming and game-related things. I uh, think uh, tabletop gaming, RPGs, D&D, and the like. Um, I hope everyone has a great week. And I hope uh, you haven't had anything spoiled for you recently because there are some big things coming out. But uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a, a fantastic uh, weekend coming up. Feels a little weird to say that because I... I'm pretty used to doing this at the very end of the weekend. Um, but yeah, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Um, and I look forward to seeing you in one week. As usual, tell your friends. Tell your friends and uh, maybe you can watch me have to eat. I, I hope there are no more sausage ones in here because I am still getting like afterburn on that. I'm not joking. Drinking a lot of water just like gets a lot of air in the system. And when the air comes back... Um, it's much, much, much worse than usual. Smile says, the stream was extremely present. I'm wondering if that was an odd autocorrect or something. Either that or uh, an interesting way to put just that uh, it went smoothly. So, uh, fantastic. Hope you have a great week. I'm going to sign off. I uh, hope to see you again next week. I don't know. At this point, I've said have a great week too many times. I just, I really hope you do though. <laughs> Bye-bye.